if you're looking for the real help, babybar.online. Hello, this is the BP Learned Hand. Thank you for joining us today with FYLSE Real Help to Pass the Baby Bar. Today we'll be covering the last two questions on the October 2017 FYLSE. We are joined today with the reasonable one. Yay, I'm so glad you're here, as well as Miss Crimes. Uh, all three of us are here today to discuss this exam, and I'm so ready to get into it. I, I can't wait to hear what everyone has to say. Okay, so question three is the um, owner's rights and remedies. So, of course, you get Contra Contracts? Yeah, that's right. Anything that says rights and remedies, you know where you're got to live your life at that moment. Oh, this is this was a big one for a lot of people. This is the one that everybody was not sure whether there was one, two, or three contracts. One, two, or three contracts. This was the big. This was the big thing. Okay. Okay. Well, that's what I. I, have, I haven't. I have not looked at it. So this I haven't looked at either of these. So. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't looked at it yet either. But I, I do know that from talking with people, um, I've got there was one contract. There were two, and I've even heard people say there were three. So, wow. So really, that's I guess that's one of the big questions everybody's wondering about is whether it was one question that was a hybrid where you cover Graveman and predominant factor, uh -huh. or whether it was one contract that was modified, or whether it was mm -hmm. one contract modified with another contract, or whether it was three separate contracts. So, I mean, everybody saw a little bit. Well, I think when you look at the, well, do you guys have the question there in front of you? I do. I don't have it. She's going to put it up. I don't have it. So number three tells me that there's a contract for floor cleaning. And that two says there's a delegation and one says um, the wrong brand of tile. So, you know, okay. I guess you just, you know, start at the top, start in your formation and walk your way down, figure out where you are, you know? Okay. Well, and two, it's, I mean, uh, you know, if you notice the beginning, the very first sentence, it's like the, there's, a there's a valid written contract. So <clears throat> right, so there is no formation. Well, I, you know, I never really try and write myself out when I write these essays because as John, John knows how I do this, I start with formation, I do the whole spiel, right? And so even though I see something that says they, written in, they, they entered into a valid written contract, in my head, I know that, I know that offer and acceptance are done. I know that part's gone. I know consideration's good. But just because it says valid written contract, I still leave formation there in my outline because I know that I might have to discuss towards the end of that whether there's a modification. And my modifications always fall between my formation and then my performance. So I don't want to write, I don't, I leave it there for myself at least as a reminder that even though it says valid written contract, there still may be that formation issue to discuss. Well, what I do is, which is kind of how Barbary, you know, sort of, you know, states it, is I just take like a paragraph and I state that's a valid written contract. So we would, um, you know, acceptance is obviously, you know, implied and, um, you know, and the consideration we have obviously is 10,000 and, and all that. So I would have like a paragraph basically sort of summing it up. Yeah. But yeah. I, but I would not go through each and every um, element because obviously there's a lot more here. Oh yeah. Than, 
I don't know if you'd have time to go through a complete formation discussion. And obviously, what do we start off with? First of all, we have to decide, is it UCC or government? You know, what's the governing law, right? That's the first thing before you yeah. even start. Yeah, definitely. But, but, you know, I know that the only reason I mention is because I, you know, when I was working with John, he was like, I'll be damned if I didn't put my outline down. And then they said there was a valid written contract. <laughs> so, you know, that's... You know, that's, that's, they, always, do. they do, that's always happens to me, but I always, you know, that's why I always write it out is because it's easy to just make a paragraph when you see right off the bat, it's valid. Yeah. And you yeah. get rid of your offer acceptance and consideration, but you know, just because it's a valid written contract doesn't mean it's going to satisfy statute of frauds or there's not going to be a modification or so I always just leave my outline there to remind me that just because the first three elements are clearly satisfied doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, floating. Oh, there are always going to be issues for <laughs> sure. But I wouldn't go through a whole formation discussion. I would do a paragraph if, if that, you know, to me, I always felt more comfortable doing, um, you know, the paragraph thing. So. Okay. so they entered into a contract with Florico to purchase beige colored Acme brand vinyl tiles. For restaurants for a thousand or ten thousand to be delivered in three weeks. So, you know, we've got a tangible movable object identified at the time of contracting, which makes it a good. Therefore, this should be covered by the UCC. That's what I see. So owner. Um, right. okay. so the, the next thing is merchants. Right. Do we have a is the owner would the owner be considered a, a merchant? I don't know. I think you'd have to argue that, don't you? It's just she's a restaurant owner, so I don't know if she necessarily, you know, deals in tile a lot. <laughs> no, I put that. I put that that the seller who deals in goods of the kind was a, was a merchant. However, the yes, was a one time purchase thing. Was not a merchant. Right. I I wouldn't have thought she was a merchant because also it says a new restaurant. So right. maybe if she had. Um, this was a series of restaurants that she had done or her second restaurant, even or her third, that would be a more arguable point because it's a new restaurant. And eh, I wouldn't think I wouldn't consider her a merchant. I would consider her a, a customer of tiles, you know? Oh yeah. I, I would too. I mean, I just, most people, unless you're selling them, making them, putting them, you have no idea. Right. Right. So I think she's not a merchant and, the floor company is a merchant. So therefore no special merchant rules apply. Yep. Well, I mean, it could be if they're trying to, if the merchant tries to put in, you know, terms that are different or, or, you know, somewhere down the line, I think there could be. But. No, but I'm talking about merchant to merchant. There's yeah. no merchant to merchant special rules that apply. Yeah. Cause they're not both merchants. So. But right. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, the next, the next sentence you go to is the day after the contract was signed. When, when anything, anytime I see something signed, I'm like, okay, it was signed, but who was it signed by? Um, they called the owner and orally offered. Anytime you see oral, you know that you're in, you know, you've Statute got to frauds. frauds and peril evidence, right? Right, <laughs> right. I offered to install the tiles during the week following delivery for 5,000, which was immediately accepted. So is this now, because I think this is a big question, is, is this now a new contract or is this a modification, an oral modification of the original agreement? I think it's an oral modification myself. I, I did too, I did it as a modification. I mean, that's I, what I would see, it, especially since it's a day after. 
Right. You know, I do not see this as another contract at all. It seems like it would blend in to the other, it'd be a collateral to the other. I, I don't see this as an extra contract at all. You know, I don't think it could stand, it couldn't stand alone, I don't think. Oh, no. I, I just don't see it. I, it just, you know, but the oral statute of frauds, red flag, and $5,000. You need a writing. Yeah. You're going to have to. <laughs> Yeah, I'm writing. This is where I wrote in about the predominant factor test because this is now part of this. This with offering is now a service. So I put that um, the original contract was a, a UCC, con UCC contract because it was a, a goods, but you could use the predominant factor test because they're adding these other ones in there. I know that people were talking about, um, about just clarifying it. When you have a modification, you know, that's the, the key thing is there's, it's before any, before both sides have fully performed, right? And nobody's performed because it's the next day. So they can right. attempt to modify their duties under, under the contract. But, you know, there's different requirements that are, that are required, basically, depending on whether or not do we need new consideration or do we not need new consideration? Because under the UCC, you know, you do not need new consideration as long as it's good faith, right? Correct. So, you know, I think that John, I think you were, I think you were right when you put in here the predominant factor test and whether or not the addition of these services changed the intent to contract. Because I don't think it did. I mean, they clearly gave you five thousand dollars as a figure, which is less than ten thousand, right? They they wouldn't have given you numbers if they hadn't wanted you to see that. Right. I think they try to use it to try to kind of get you, oh, they see 5,000, oh, so this is, you know, because if you were going to go the three separate contracts route, you would have to look at this, and then people, I think, would get, can forget that it's a, that it becomes a common law contract, but then they see the 5,000, they think the, you know, they start throwing these things in there, I think they're like little red herrings to try to mislead you. That's yeah. why they use, I think, specific numbers like that and specific language like that. Yeah, well, you know, the other thing is, though, because this was, you know, and this is kind of where it goes into you bring up that predominant factor after you discuss the oral modification and whether or not new consideration was needed is the fact that, you know, if you have a contract which falls into the statute of frauds and you modify it, if it falls out, then you don't need a writing. But if it once again falls back in, then you need another writing. So that's, you know, the next part you have to bring into is, this oral modification, and then right. was there consideration needed? And then once again, back into the statute of frauds discussion on whether or not this needed to be right. a valid writing signed by the parties to be charged. So, you know, you just follow your outline, I guess. Exactly. It seems like it, you know, it seems like it's kind of going in that order, basically. Yeah. And then, you know, you just want to keep following this. You stop following the roadmap. I, I can tell in these next two paragraphs, you're going to like go way off the rails. Because, I mean, we've already covered, like, a ton of theories just in the first paragraph. So, basically, it's currently, it's governing law is UCC, sale of goods. The owner is not a merchant and who deals in that type of good. And the, their customer and the, the restaurant, Acme Floor Company, or Floor Company, is a merchant. So, and we have a valid written contract at this point, and now we're looking into modification. And whether or not there's new consideration that's needed? A statute of frauds. Well, yeah. statute of frauds, right? $5,000. Yep. And because this is, you know, this kind of goes into that. I've only seen it fall like how we do the outline. Right. If you, if you do see 
you see when you're in the governing law, essentially, which is right at the top, yep. and you do see a UCC for this and a, um, a common law for a service of some type, then the next thing you would go to is um, to determine if it's a hybrid contract. And you would state the rule, hybrid contract, blah, 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 and then you would do the predominant factor and the gravamen. And then you would come out with an outcome to determine which which um, contract, which governing law. The only reason I threw in the word, the little snippet about the predominant factor, this, this last sentence of the second paragraph, it says owner paid 20000 for the tiles installation in the year of cleaning. I think they're trying to make it sound like it was one uh, one contract for $20,000. And so I had spoke to that. I said, had this been a single contract for $20,000 at the time of formation, because half of it was was goods and half of the services, then you would use the predominant factor test to, or, you know, the gravity of the injury to figure out which which one it was and apply the appropriate governing law. That's the reason I brought that up because because of that last sentence, I thought that's what they wanted to hear. Yeah. Whether that was needed, I don't know. Well, I think I think that's where it's leading it, lending itself to is this, it, it you know, I would I would have just followed my outline because I wouldn't have honestly known how to handle this kind of essay if it was just me I won't lie if I was sitting there and I was like okay it's hard I agree I I would have followed my outline and I would have I would have addressed if they found it to be one contract or if they found this to be a modification so my on my final and I'm trying I'm, I'm just pulled out my Barbary outline on my final we had a similar thing like this and I'm trying to find the exact word it was considered um, like I believe it was called a collateral, sort of like something that would be a natural um, afterthought or something. I'm looking it up now. So, you know, after you get there and you get to the second paragraph, it says two weeks later, Flo- Floor Co. called the owner again and it was buying a new superior floor cleaning machine and would like to use this to clean the vinyl floors once a week for a year in return for 5000 Eager to have the company do all the cleaning, owner accepted the cleaning offer. So for me, what I see, what I would have a problem with here is the fact that it says the cleaning offer. And so, I mean, I would, I would definitely be torn as to whether or not, because it says the owner accepted for the cleaning offer, but then the next sentence says owner paid 20,000 for tiles, installation and cleaning. So you're right, John, I can see how they limit. Well, but for a modification, though, you have to have an offer. I mean, you have to have um, an acceptance. You have to have um, consideration. But you do. You already have it. You have a valid written contract. Yep. In the first line, you already have it. So, I mean, at this point. No, no, but for a, modifica- a modification is a, is, a, is a mini contract within a contract. You need to have an acceptance. Right. You need to have consideration. And you have to have lack of defenses for that modification. That doesn't, doesn't mean anything about the initial formation. Correct. And so that's, you know, so here at this point, what I would have done is I would have, you know, I would have done modification and then I would have done um, another section that said, you know, however, if this was not a modification, then you would need to have offer acceptance consider, you know, and I would just see above, see above, see above, but I probably would have done that just be, just to like CYA, you know, cover your bases. One of those things where they say, don't throw the kitchen sink. I think this is one of those situations where I would have I would have not thrown the kitchen sink, but I would have definitely put like a, a CYA in there. CYA does not stand for a couple of your bases. <laughs> <laughs> right? Hi. Well, I mean, seriously, because it is very, it's very complicated. Like, big props to you guys for doing this essay. Well, it's, yeah, not easy. 
we were overwhelmed by the first two. So getting into number three and seeing this, I'd have been like, oh, I hate all of you. <laughs> I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was that hard really in that sense. It was just the time because I had gone through and wrote up my entire outline and they had to go back and like read, look at the entire thing after the first line said valid contract. I was like, oh crap. Floor code delivered all the tiles. Okay. So we have performance. All of the tiles were visually identical to Acme brand beige tiles. They were actually Bravo brand, more expensive, higher quality. So then we have our non-conforming good, right? Right. And he does, and he does send an email. I don't want to jump ahead, but he does send an email saying that. Yeah, that's the next sentence, right? The, they send an email saying, we assume you're delighted by our substituting the better brand. We've arranged for and paid Irving who is an independent contractor flooring installer to install your tiles, the manufacturer. Well, there's your um, delegation. Let's see. We've arranged this week, the manufacturer of the vinyl clean machine just today permanently ceased all production and canceled our machine order. Oh gosh. So they're trying to bring an impossibility. Um, do you think they put in here design defect to see how many people would throw themselves into torts? Ah! I, I think people, I don't know. It seems because the thing was, I was writing the whole thing out. And if you look at the call, the question though, it says, what are the rights and remedies? That doesn't ask about anything else but rights and remedies. Yep. If you go back, it's not asking about delegation of duties. It's not asking about um, product liability or, or defects or any of that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of stuff is misleading as you're going through here. And when you get down, because I kind of found myself doing that. I'm talking about this stuff. And then I go back again to the call, the question, I'm like, oh, shoot, it only wants rights and remedies. So I'm trying to focus just on rights and remedies. Well, remember this, this goes to that thing I told you, in order to find rights and remedies for any party, you have to show there's a valid enforceable agreement, right? So, I mean, there are these three different, you know, things going on here, like there's three different calls. So what are the rights and remedies in regards to the wrong brand of floor tile? Well, you have to start at the top and you have to show that there's a valid enforceable agreement for anyone to have any rights and remedies, especially when you have a delegation of duties or remember, you have a delegation of duties or you have an assignment of right whatever the delegation or the assignment is, is going to be heavily reliant upon the fact of whether or not there was a valid enforceable agreement. So when I say I always start at the top and I do my outline and then I fill in the outline really heavy, that's so that when I get into the delegation and then when I get into, um, you know, cancellation of the contract, because you do have three calls, all I have to do in those next two calls of the question is basically just say see above, which is kind of right. With this essay, though, because they tell you it's a valid written contract, like John said, and like you, like I would have done, I would have, I would have skipped offer and acceptance, but then you're going to have to go into the offer and acceptance, you, at least get your rule statement out there for all these modifications, at least once, so you can just do C above to show that there was valid offer and acceptance of all these modifications. Right, and I think um, there's going to be plural evidence with regard to the the owner orally offered to install for the during the week following delivery for five thousand dollars, and the offer was accepted. So you could say that was a, you know, condition precedent, and you could say it wasn't placed in there because it was a collateral agreement between the two, and they call a collateral agreement in naturally omitted terms, where um, the collateral agreement doctrine is hard to apply because it is conclusory. But the restatement of contracts include a similar concept of the naturally admitted terms doctrine. The doctrine allows evidence of terms which would naturally be omitted from the written agreement. If the term naturally would be um, omitted, if it would not conflict with the writing integration, that wouldn't really conflict. Right. And if it concerns a subject that similarly situated parties 
that would not ordinarily um, be expected to include. So this kind of sounds like that might be it. <laughs> it's a weird little thing, but my professor did uh, test on this one thing. And it, it's, it's not a common one. It, it walks almost in the same steps as your peril evidence, because if you were yes. to go into your peril evidence discussion on this, because, it, you know, they are. This is. Oh, yeah, this is. This is. Yeah. for sure. Oh, absolutely. Agreements. Yep. As long as they don't contradict terms. Right. right? And, and how you would get out of it is through that condition yeah. precedent and collateral yeah. agreement. Yeah. And you would, because you would show that it, you know, it wasn't a completely integrated agreement. It was partial. Correct. You know, and that's how you would, that's how you would get that in there. Exactly. So if you didn't know your collateral you would, contract rule, just walk through your peril evidence and you should hit it. <laughs> right. And the other thing about this, remember, it's, um, this is installing, um, installing the tiles, which is a service. And remember, um, this is going to be done within a short amount of time. It's not going to take a year or more. So actually, this, this would not need to be signed. Well, I don't know. I would, I would bring it up. I don't know. I don't think it would be that big of a deal. I would bring it up under the fact that. No, I don't think it would be. We identified the fact that it was. That and that the, the modification didn't take it out of the UCC. So just because there's a service in here, it's still going to be held to the UCC requirements. But because there was performance, part performance will satisfy the statute of frauds. And the, and the tiles were delivered. Right, right. Right. But I would also mention if you are, if someone was talking about a service, I would also mention that if, that that would not have to be, I mean, you, if people did mention both, that would be something that you could add in there also. Yeah. So essentially this won't have to be signed bottom line. It would not have to be signed. Yeah. Cause it's, there's already performance that's going to satisfy it. Correct. Correct. You know, so, you know, the question really comes to what are the owner's rights and remedies with the wrong brand of tiles? Well, I, I mean, that's what I'm, you know, we assume you'll be delighted by substituting the better Bravo tiles for your order. So, you know, under the UCC, we've got our perfect tender rule. Right. Subject to the seller's right to cure. Oh, so, right. Um, yeah. So if they send it with a, with a note, then it's only an accommodation so they can accept it or reject it. What does it say? They accepted it? Well, it, it doesn't tell us really anything. It just says that they delivered it with the letter that said, you know, we hope you like it and that we can't do the, the floor cleaning anymore. But it doesn't tell us whether the owner accepted it or he sent it back or he rejected it or so we're not really told what he did with it. It's just what are his rights. And I think his rights are he can accept the whole, the whole shipment. He can accept right. part of it or he can just reject all of it. Yeah, that's what I did. I, I would agree. Yeah, I said that he could accept it, he could reject it, he could um, potentially sell them and buy the the correct ones and and bill for the cost of the difference. I mean, there's a lot of different little remedies I was throwing out there. That there's a whole. Uh, I think Sparkle is seller remedies or no buyer remedies. There's right. I forget what it is though. Yeah. So, you know, where the buyers accepted the seller's goods, I mean, if he did accept them, which I think right. he did if he was delivered them and we're not told he sent them back, then, you know, he can reject the goods whose nonconformity substantially impairs the value to him. 
if he believed the nonconformity would not be cured or if he failed to discover the nonconformity. But he, I mean, I'm assuming he discovered it because they sent him a letter. So really, I think his rights are basically to accept some of it, accept all of it or reject all of it or, you know. I think, I mean, I don't see anything else right here that we could, we could give the owner right now for the floor tile. Right. He has that choice. And, but they also say, which I guess you could infer that he accepted, we assume that you are delighted by our substituting. So also substituting. So, I mean, why would he have to pay any more if they've substituted? Right. Well, he, you know, he may not accept the substitution. There's, I think there's this, right. There's that XYZ hearing aid that is the MCQ version of this question, right? Right, right. Where they substitute a different brand. Right, and he doesn't have to. Right, he doesn't have to. Correct. He doesn't have to, but the, you know, the floor club, but see, this is where you don't want to go is because they ask what are the owner's rights and remedies, right? What you don't want to do is you don't want to get into floor co can cure, because that's not the question, you know, they want right. to, what can the owner do? And so you kind of want to focus in on that. I would have, this is why I, I have to follow my outline because otherwise I'll go down the rabbit hole and I'll be like, well, floor code could do this and they could right. need time to cure. And then this could happen. And none of that right. has happened. All that we know, right. the wrong tile was delivered. We right. Nothing after that point. Correct. And so the owner's rights and remedies, if any, in regard to the delegation of its duties, will. There's nothing in the agreement that says they can't delegate it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it says that Irving's been hired to show up and to do this. Um, We're not even, we're not told whether or not the owner said no, go away and rejected it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think here with your owner's rights and remedies in regards to the delegation, you would have to go into, you know, as far as the delegation was concerned, um, you know, he, he has a, I think you have a right within, there's a time, uh, what is it, a reasonable time to, to deny the, the delegation to say, you know, I don't want this person doing it. And then you have to show that that person who you initially had, um, you had doing it, um, that you, there was a, a substantial interest in personal performance. So that this right. delegated would be, you know, in a breach because they couldn't do it the same, the same way, you know, but it, it, this is just laying tile. I mean, it's, it's not like painting the Mona Lisa. <laughs> right. Right. It's not any special kind of duties or any, it doesn't take any special person to specifically do it. Correct. Right. So I wouldn't, I mean, at this point, I don't think that's an issue. He has a reasonable time to you know, to say, I don't want this, I don't want, what's this guy's name? Like, what is it? Like Vinny the vinyl cleaner or something? Right. Irving the tile layer or whatever. I don't want Irving to do it. But if he does do it, then you'll probably, you would, but see, then you don't want to get into whether or not he did do it because that's not the question. The question is, what are his rights and remedies? And so right now I would say all he has is a reasonable time to dispute it. Yeah. All I put in there was like, I said, unless there was some, um, you know, specific reason why he should or should not be doing it, or if the owner was like a, you know, some world expert or something. I was trying to fill in, there was some, I think it was really hard to write this because it, it, because they really have a very specific call, but there's like really, like there really was no breach really because they, 
I mean, the, the breach was very slight or, you know, um, like the delega delegation duties. I mean, it's not really a, a super, it's a personal service because the person doing it, but it's not like, it's not like painting a, a portrait, you know? No, yeah, no, so it, yeah. You can't really use that. So it was hard to, to really write up on, on that. Yeah, I think the only things you would need to cover in this is, you know, was the delegation effective? And I would consider the delegation effective. Um, and I, you know, they identified Irving, right? They had a president mm -hmm. to transfer to Irving and he, I'm assuming, uh, you know, he promised to do the services for, you know, Florco or whoever they are. And then are there any limitations on the pa on the right of the parties to assign? And we didn't see anything on any limitations. And then what are the rights of the party following the delegation? And the right of the party following the delegation is to say that, you know, I, I don't, I don't want the guy doing it. It's a special service, you know? Right. And I have a substantial interest in the personal performance of floor code doing this. And I, there's nothing in here that tells me these are special titles. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I agree. I don't think that'd go very far. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm looking at, um, at Fleming's, uh, breach breach section on the UCC and says buyer's duty after rejection. I mean, really just says rejection must occur within a reasonable time after delivery, which they don't talk about. Mm -hmm. And else for non-merchant buyer after right for rejection, um, if they're in possession of the goods, they must hold them for reasonable care for their time sufficient or for uh, to permit seller to remove them. That's no for the obligation. So it's really limited. Uh, you know, the, the, I think the answers here are really limited. Yeah, they are. They Which, are. It, it, it's very, you know, I think the big, the big chunk of this discussion in this essay is going to be all the modifications and whether or not the modifications are valid. Um, right. You know, but then when you get, once you get through that initial showing of a valid enforceable agreement, then the answers are just pretty simple, you know. I know that there's not a lot going on here, you know, in regards to the owner's rights and remedies with regards to floor co's cancellation floor cleaning contract. Now that one, that one's a fun one because you it that lends people to go down. I hate using it, but to go down the rabbit hole, because what you want to do is you want to go into floor co's defense of, you know, impossibility or, but that's not what they're asking you. They're asking you what are the owner's rights and remedies, you know? Right, so that would that would be, and here again, I have the Flemings right here. So buyer's remedies after acceptance, and so owner is is the buyer. It just has um, they're liable for the contract price, less damage for the defective goods. This after acceptance, um, but buyer must notify seller of any deduction in contract price, and then um, that's really all it says in here. There's there's two things, there's three things in here. And well, here I would have brought up anticipatory repudiation. And so the, the owner, because they haven't performed yet, you know, so the owner has a right to demand assurances or bring suit. And I, um, I mean, I would bring suit. Under the right section. What are the owner's rights and remedies? And so like the, the floor cleaning hasn't started. And naturally, you know, one of the condition precedent to the floor cleaning starting is the floor being installed. <laughs> and we know that the floor, right. the tiles have been delivered. We're not even told if they've been put in. Um, so of this three-part contract, there's been partial performance on the contract, um, but the floor cleaning part hasn't 
hasn't come to fruition yet. All the stuff precedent to it hasn't, hasn't reached right. it. So, so a lot of it's just determine if he's going to accept these tiles or not. Yeah. So when he sends this letter saying, you know, we can't clean your tiles and we we're sending, you know, Irving to come do this. You know, I think that the owner has the right at this point to consider this an anticipatory repudiation. Exactly. And to either, I mean, demand assurances, which I wouldn't think he would do since they clearly said they're not going to be doing it. Right. And his money back or to bring suit immediately. And he can bring suit or just like John said, you know, the $5,000 and cause that's all we're really told because the owner paid the $20,000 for the cleaning already. So, right. Right. <laughs> you know, like literally you have to go through the whole thing and then all they want to know is what are the, what are the remedies right now? Because nothing's happened. It's all basically anticipatory repudiation at this point. Mm -hmm. not, I mean, we know the tiles were delivered, so there's, you know, as far as the wrong floor tiles, that kind of changes the discussion. But as far as Irving and the cleaning contract, none of that's happened yet. And the owner hasn't, you know, refused, you know, services. The guy hasn't been ready, willing, and able. Like, none of that's happened yet. We're, like, so early into the operation of this contract. Right. That was, that was the hard part, yeah. Right, it hasn't even been performed. Forget, the only thing they did is drop off the tiles. Yeah. So we got to figure out where we are. Right, just all depends on what choices. I guess you just put a little bit of each. You know, if this happened, if that happened, he had that choice, you know, to accept, to reject, to accept some, reject some, whatever, you know, that the owner would wanted to do. Sue so immediately asked for assurances. But you don't have a lot of that information here to trigger those facts, you know? Yeah, you, you don't. I mean, it's very... You'd be wasting your time. <laughs> forgot a paragraph. <laughs> right, right, right. Like they forgot to put that sentence in and it says, owner refused to accept the tile and bring suit immediately for entire contract. You know, it's... Right. Or owner sold it. Or yeah. owner called another store and found the tile, the exact tile he or she wanted and then of course then you could you know get the difference between yep. them or then your impossibility defense or whatever you know but it's like they forgot that last paragraph yeah it's <laughs> yeah it's interesting it's a lot of cheese holes a lot of yeah cheese holes cheese holes cheese holes <laughs> <laughs> a lot of holes to fall into you have to be you know which could make you throw in the kitchen sink and that's what you totally want to avoid yeah. yeah, you know, and Ugh. so it makes it, it challenging to stay on track with that. Yeah. I agree. I mean, yeah. they, this was these were hard essays. There's, these were these were tough essays. I mean, one after the other. They were. This one, it was a. This one was like a expanded MBE or MCQ question to just. I mean, who didn't look at this and not like, oh God, I've seen this a thousand times before. Oh, question, question number four, the wonderful, oh. I accidentally went to the wrong cabin and burned all of your stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this is like, this is like it. I haven't read it, but I heard little bits about it. So, okay. Sorry about that. Uh, so three calls. What tort causes of action can Polly reasonably raise? What defenses can Dan assert? And what damages can Polly recover? I'll tell you, I have a daughter named Polly, and uh, 
Every time I read these questions, I shake my head a little bit. <laughs> so Polly V. Dan. Okay. So tort. All right. Let's go. So Dan went hiking on a sunny winter day. While on a trail far from civilization, a sudden storm arose. Snow accompanied by horrific winds created blizzard conditions. So and that already tells me necessity defense. Yeah, there's your necessity. Dan was an instantly outdoorsman and knew that without shelter, he was going to succumb to hypothermia and die. Okay, that's emergency necessity, sure. Yep. Fortunately, fortunately for Dan, he remembered that his friend Jill owned a cabin in the vicinity. Jill had told him that he could use the cabin should the need arise. In the blizzard conditions, Dan struggled to find Jill's cabin, but soon saw a red-roofed log cabin that looked exactly like Jill's. As promised, the key was under the mat, and Dan entered to wait out the storm. So there's your trespass. Right. Um, in order to stay warm, Dan removed some built-in wooden bookshelves from the wall and used them to build a fire in the fireplace because okay. <laughs> there were no magazines in this house. He had to start pulling stuff out of the walls. So, so trespass to chattels and conversion. Yep. Yeah, and I put intermeddling. You know what intermeddling is? I've seen intermeddling. Uh-huh. So, so I, I, put on, I put in there under the conversion. I had that because I thought if he, you know, the bookcase, because usually bookcases are built in because it says, I mean, it says built in there. So if he pulled them out, that he may have damaged. So I use intermeddling for a damage to the to the bookshelves. Oh, damage to the home too. I mean, if they were built, yeah, the wall too. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're gonna have plaster or drywall or something kind of damage. Um, he slept in front of the fire, and the storm was over the following morning. So, oh, he also threw in books. I missed that. He also threw in books that were on yeah. The, so so books. So you have books, and you have the bookshelves. Okay. Yep. So you've got lots of trespass to chattels and conversions, right? Before leaving the cabin, Dan wrote Jill a note thanking her for the use of her cabin and apologizing for the missing shelves. <laughs> he forgot to mention the books. <laughs> phone number and told her to give him a call. So let's see. So he's liable for that under the defense of private necessity. Yep. He's liable for those damages. So as it turns out, the cabin where Dan stayed was owned by Polly, not Jill. When Polly went to the cabin to open it for summer, she noticed her bookshelves and books were missing and found a note on the table from some fellow named Dan. <laughs> Very outraged that a stranger would use her cabin without her permission, destroy the bookshelves, and take her books. So she decided to sue him. There you go. Well, yeah, no, no good deed goes unpunished, Dan. This isn't a, <laughs> wasn't a fender bender. Why'd you leave your name and number? She's your friend. Just call her. <laughs> there you go. This is just a, this is a, a, a larger version of an MBE, basically. It really is, but it's absolutely terrifying. I will, I will tell you, for me, at least it would be terrifying because I would be like, wait a minute, I'm going to miss something. Because it cannot be this easy. Well, come on. When you think about it, it has to be because the others were so heavy. I mean, you have, how are you going to catch up on time? Seriously. The contracts one wasn't that long, but the first two, they were long. I mean, how was, would anyone ever? There's no way unless it, this would have been this short. There's no way. 
I mean, I would literally be like, okay, so we've got Dan walked onto her land. I've got trespassed the land. And yep. then, I mean, I would be trying to find as many things as I can because it's, you know, it's so cut and dry. It really is. I mean, there's not much here, but that's, they couldn't have done it any other way. There's no way, way too heavy. Yeah. I mean, it way too heavy. It would have, it would have been like, my brain would have been like, no, there's but gotta be, there's gotta be negligence in here. The problem is, you know, if, if you follow, like, especially Fleming, he says, just sit down, start writing, don't look ahead, don't do them together. You don't know though until you're at the very end where you've crammed all the other stuff into an hour each, and all of a sudden you've got this one with all this extra time on it. So you don't, unless you're looking ahead and figuring out your 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 tactic for this, you don't know that question four is actually going to be uh, quicker than the other one. So it, it's not really that much of a, it. Really wasn't that much of a help. Yeah. No, but gener but generally speaking, that's usually how it goes. If you have a couple really heavy ones, you know, even in a law exam, you know, one's not, one is going to be a little lighter because they knew the other one was going to take up more time. Like I would, maybe they missed a paragraph in here too, where Dan got hurt, built, like burning the fire, burning her bookshelves or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, usually what happens, usually what happens is the owner out. comes home. Yeah. yeah. The owner comes back and catches him. And then, yeah, there's a little fight. He gets kicked out, but that wasn't here because that would have made it a lot longer. So this is really short. But because it's so short, though, I mean, you really at that point have to make sure that you're like, you know, getting your rule statement straight right. and, you know, showing that these are volitional acts and requisite intent and, right. you know, like, I mean, really, you know, it's basically tell me everything you know about trespass, any, tell me everything you know about the theory of, you know, um, intentional torts to property, you know, like, right. Tell me what, you know, so that's, you know, those are the hard ones because you really have to make sure that you, you find every little thing that could be in there. That's right. Bring up things like, well, it would be a trespass to her land. Right. Everybody's going to see the bookshelf and the books. Right. You're going to have to find the other stuff in there, you know, the intermeddling, you know, things like that to, to make your essay stand out and to, to get over that bar. Right. That's pretty, you know. Bring up everything you know about necessity, a private necessity, you know. Right. Right. I'd bring a private necessity. Of course, you throw out, you know, public necessity, but still. I mean, you. That's this is one of those where you're just going to have to throw everything you know about those torts into the, into your essay analysis. Like, and the only, the, and then he, you know, you can't say it was a mistake. So that would be the only other thing that he could, I mean, he's going to be okay with necessity, but he's still liable for the damages that he did to the books and the bookshelves. You know, he's still liable for that, but a mistake's not going to, mistake's not going to work. So. Right. Well, thank you for joining us uh, as we cover the last two questions of the October FYLSE. Um, boy, those were some hard questions. We did have fun covering them. Uh, keep tuned. We will keep our eyes peeled for those model answers. And the um, grade should be coming out. So good luck to all of you that took that test. And let us know. If you liked this, if you have any suggestions or if you'd like to see anything else specifically covered, don't forget to visit www.
www.babybar.online. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and go to our YouTube channel, like our videos, subscribe. This is the BP Learned Hand, and I will talk with you all later.